0: The scripture reading for today is found in Luke, <clears throat> the first chapter. I'm going to only read a portion of it because this, verse, this verses of scriptures are 80 verses long. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read just a part of this. Beginning in verse uh, 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Ju- Judah or Judea, excuse me, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abja. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. They were both well advanced in years, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he came into the temple of the Lord. Say this with me. Say he he won the lottery. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Somebody tell me someone that you know, man or woman, that is a powerful man or woman of God. Just tell me a name, somebody. Tell me a name. Yes. Well, you don't have to know personally. You know of them. You know someone that is a powerful man of God or a woman of God. Somebody, huh? <coughs> Jack Hayford. Okay. Just like, just like uh, authors. Huh? Just like authors, their books are not valuable until they're dead. Uh-huh. People don't read them. Uh-huh. Sometimes people misappreciate. Yeah. So some of the great people may be in the same room and they just don't. Okay. Okay. <coughs> Anybody else? Billy Graham, have have y'all prayed for Billy this week? He's been in the hospital all week. We could be pretty confident. We could be pretty confident about any of these particular individuals, whether you you know you named them or not. I, I would I would name some others. I would name someone like uh, Dr. Uh, Scott uh, uh, Stout, who has been he just passed away recently, but he was worldwide known at least by all ministers. Most ministers in America know John Stout uh, because of his uh, constant uh, uh, input into the ministry of other men about the importance of being with God, spending time with God. Uh, other, other people that come to, to uh, mind, of course, Billy Graham was mentioned, Jack Hayford was mentioned, Uh, Max Lucado is is an awesome man. Uh, Women, uh, Joyce Myers comes to to my mind. Uh, About all these people, I, I believe it would be pretty safe to say the same thing, is that all these people did not become who they were without spending a lot of time with God. You cannot be a great man or a great woman of God without spending time with God. They did a survey recently, and in that survey, they they, they actually surveyed thousands upon thousands of Christians throughout the United States, and they asked them a few questions to find out specific things about them and their faith and their life for God. And one of the things they wanted to know is, how much time do you actually spend each day in meditating on the Word of God and in prayer? And they found that 75% of all the people they surveyed didn't spend any time. 75%. They do not daily read the Bible, and they do not daily pray, and they do not daily meditate. They asked them specific questions because everybody probably prays. you know. But you might pray as you're going from one place to the next or as you're in a hurry to do this or that. I'm talking about the question was asked, did you spend an entire hour where you simply set it aside and meditated and prayed and sought the Lord? And they found that 75% of the Christians in America do not do it at all. I believe that that was a very critical... Analysis of why the church is as weak as it is. I believe that's the real reason why we are so weak. Why we do not make the impact that we could make or should make or did make because we're not spending any time in our own self-evaluation and self-dedication to Almighty God. One question they asked is, who do you depend upon for the education of your children in religious matters? And they all said the church. What a joke. If all people ever learn is what they learn in church, look at at the empty seats here. Some people ain't learning nothing. And if we all depended on what we learned in church, half of what we hear in church we don't agree with. We don't like what he said, so if we're depending on that to teach us, it ain't going to happen. The correct place to learn this is in your own devotion to God. The Bible says to make your own calling and election sure. You need to be about the business of making sure that you're on track with God. You need to. No one else is needing to do it. You're needing to do it. It is your responsibility. Somebody said to me, what is Advent? I hate to say that, but if a Christian doesn't understand what Advent is, they're ignorant. They're just plain ignorant. There's no excuse to be ignorant, but there's a lot of Christians that are ignorant. They're just ignorant to the things of God. We do not know about the things of God because in America we have made religion and worship and service of God, a consumer product. We take what we want and we leave the rest. And we're just not interested in all the other stuff. Go and look at my post that I posted, I think on Saturday, about zombie Christianity. It's people who claim to be Christians, but they're dead. (laughs) And it tells why they're dead. They're dead because they have no life and they have no life because they have not been with the life giver. They spend no time with Him. They're not involved in His life and He's not in there, in theirs. You might think, well, why doesn't the Lord just push in and invade my life and do something? Have you all ever seen Him do that very much? I mean, does He really invade anyone's life like that very much? No, He's gentle. He's waiting Last week was the waiting candle. This week is the remembrance candle. How many in here has felt like at one time or another that God, God's forgot that I even live? See? That's why we're talking about this today, remembrance, because it's not about us remembering God, but it's that we are remembering that God never forgets. It may take a while. And we may not see what we expect. You know, you know I've actually had that this week. People tell me, "Well, I, I, I will get involved when I find a church that does what I want, when they give me my needs, when they minister to me in the way that I feel comfortable." Uh, that, that's, that's what happens at a country club. Yeah. That, 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 that's what happens at, at, at recreational time. At, 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 uh, when you get your boat and you go out on the, uh, on the lake. You know that, That's when you get your needs met. Worshipping God is about Him. It's not about you. I have no doubt that Zechariah felt like God forgot him. He was an old man. He was barren. Uh, our society does not look at barrenness the same way as they did in Bible days, if you were a woman and you had no children, everybody walked around and whispered, God doesn't like her. <laughs> There's something wrong with her. Something wrong with that man. He cannot produce. And so I'm sure that in that particular setting, Zechariah and Elizabeth felt like, you know what? God doesn't even know we live. We're not even alive. We have no one to carry on our name. We're going to live. We're going to die. And no one will ever even know we were ever here. No one will ever know that I ever existed. The reason we say that Zechariah won the lottery is because on the day that they drew... Now, I know the kids they get upset and they you know they're they're not mature enough to understand we take turns, but they get upset when someone else gets to take up the offering, and I don't get to do this, and I you know they're just little kids, but at least they want to you know adults adults don't care eh so what? if I don't go, I don't go if I don't give I don't give if I don't sing, I don't sing, if I don't participate, I don't- participate. Eh, who cares? That wasn't the case with Zechariah. His entire life he had hoped that someday, someday in my whole life, one day in my whole life, I might get to go into the house of God and worship before the Lord's altar. Now, we've come so far to the other end that we don't see church buildings as being anything. They're just nothing. You know, we, we have no sacredness. You know, when I was a kid, my dad never let me go on the platform. And I, and I know now as an adult, it's not because this place up here is more holy than this place down here. It isn't that. It was that my, my dad wanted me to respect the things of God. He wanted me to come to the place where I did not see this as a table, but I saw this as an altar to the Lord. He wanted me to come to a place where I did not not see this just as four walls, but I saw this as a place that I had set aside as sacred before God where I met Him. And He met me. Not that other places can't be sacred too, but that this was a sacred place. See, we've lost what the word sacred even means. We don't even understand that anymore. In the Bible days, there was only one sacred place on the whole earth. There was only one place that you could go to and say that's where God dwelt. That's that's why when Jesus Christ said, I leave this house unto you desolate, that was a very serious indictment to the whole land of Israel because what Jesus was saying is, I'm getting ready to walk out this door and when I do, there won't be no God here no more. If you remember back in the time in the Old Testament when the prophet left Jerusalem and as he was riding up the same city that, I mean, the same mountain of olives that Jesus later would come down off that hill, as he was riding up, he turned around to look at the, at the temple of God. And as he did, he saw an angel riding on the door Ichabod! It gave the prophet of God chills. Because what it meant is God's no longer here. He's gone. And if God is gone, Lord have mercy on everyone else. But Zechariah, every day, they would put into the pot 20,000 names and they'd pick one out. And that guy won the lottery. He got to go and get dressed by everyone in the beautiful robes of the priesthood. He got to be fancied up and gussied up. And then they tie a rope around his leg in case he died while he was in there so they could drag him back out. <laughs> because if he touched something or does something that just, you know, doesn't go right, you could die. It had happened before. And in he walks into the house of God. And all he thought he was going to do was just simply go over and light some incense. You know, the incense burnt constantly. So they would have to refill the the containers and relight them and all of that to make sure that everything was continuously going on in the house of God. Anybody in here ever went into a Catholic church or an Episcopal church and you always see a light over there? That light is always on 24 hours a day and that represents the presence of God. That's not the presence of God, but it's to, to remind you that when you walked into this building presence of God is here you should have a certain attitude because of that a certain posture you know posturing is important can you imagine Zachariah going in there and going oh okay, I'm going to go right there it says to God I don't think so (laughs) that's why we understand what irreverence is when we see it we know what it is And I say we because I'm meaning most of us. In fact, a lot of people today, I I, I read an article last night where Atlanta, Georgia has over 300,000, say that, 300,000. It it has 300,000 children that went to bed last night and they have never known their father. 300,000 of them. If they don't know their fathers, they probably are not getting a religious education either. Now, what happens when 300,000 people do not have proper training? Do not have proper upbringing? Do you all want to live next to those kind of people? Have you all heard of the thug life? It's alive and well in Atlanta. There are two zip codes in Georgia, that most criminals in the prison system come from two zip codes in Georgia. In Atlanta, those two zip codes are where most prisoners come from. Now to talk about a statistic, <laughs> that's mind-boggling. But it's because, you see, <coughs> people do not know God. They're not being trained, they're not being taught. They have no idea what reverence is. They only know what they know. I do believe that going to church is important. And I, and I will stand and affirm that and promote that as long as I live. But I think it's also important, equally as important, if not even more so, that a family worship God daily. That a family pray daily. That a family seek God daily. It's not just a thing that you do inside these walls. Or any walls. It is what you do every day. And when you have 300,000 people in Atlanta that are never ever being taught right from wrong, what is good and what is bad, how you should live and how you should not live, it's no wonder that they predict that most of them are going to go to prison. Right here in Milledgeville, I met with the Board of Education and they said that by the third grade, they already know which ones are not going to make it and which ones is. And that really disturbed me. Because it meant, it meant, it meant to me that by the third grade, they would already given up on people. Do you know why they give them an attendance certificate at graduation and move them on? And allow them now to graduate with an attendance certificate? you know why they do it? Because there's no more grades to pass them through. They've already passed them through 12. There's nowhere else to send them. Now they just send them home, having not finished, having not completed. And what a sad state of affairs that all those young people would walk across the stage feeling like, hey, I've been to school 12 years. But really, all he got was an attendance certificate. You showed up. We passed you through. Zechariah, when he walked into the house of the Lord that day and stood before the altar, he had no idea what was getting ready to happen. He was not expecting it. He thought he would just do his duty that day. He would be honored to have served God and served the people. But instead, the angel said, God hadn't forgotten you. And if you'd had an EKG on him, <laughs> I'm sure that old man's heart started going, What? the only thing that he had felt God forgotten him about was his son, his child, his heritage, his legacy. That's it. But instead, God said, no, no, I remember you. Even though that's what he was hoping for, wishing for, he still didn't believe the angel. The angel said, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He said, I don't believe it. And you said, "Okay, then you won't be able to tell anybody anything. You're going to have to be. You're going to be just mute until that day." When John left there, he was no longer waiting. And he was no longer feeling like he was needing to be remembered. He knew something was drastically going to happen. Something serious was going to happen here. The full ramifications, he had no idea. Would you have wished for a son if you knew that someday a young girl would dance, the dance of the seven veils in front of a king, and she would, the king would say, Anything you want, I'll give you. And she said, give me John the Baptist's head. I want his head. Would you have wished for that boy? You see, sometimes the greatness of God also brings with it the great sorrows, the great sufferings. No, I don't think John the Baptist said, bring a sword in here! I've been waiting all my life to die! I don't think he said that. But I don't think he said, "Wow, I'm not doing this." I think he said, you know, "This is what God chose for me. This was my destiny. I re- I embrace it. I receive it as a gift from my Lord. And I go willingly." Remember he said about Jesus, he said he must increase and I must decrease. How much more decrease could you get? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, we've all seen, we've all seen uh, uh, meatloaf on a platter, chicken on a platter, turkey on a platter. Have you ever seen a head on a platter? All them guests sitting at the table eating and drinking and they bring in John the Baptist's head on a platter. That tells us how sick human beings are. Right? How sick they, they, they were then, and they still are today. They're killing Christians right now. And not thinking twice about it. In Indonesia the other day, I heard about two little girls that were killed because their parents sent them to Sunday school. And the Muslims came in and shot both those little girls and said, you disgraced us by going to church. Our happiness and our health and our survival... And everything that happens to us does not happen because God micromanages all of our lives and makes sure that everything is either perfect or bad. God is not in that. He's not in that kind of micromanaging of every last detail. In fact... Most of us, not, I hope none of us here, but most of the people that name the name of Jesus have bought into this lie of instant gratification that everything should be immediate. That's why some people do not believe in God, because God doesn't answer their prayer like that. And they've begun to believe that, hey, if God, if there really is a God, I should be able to get out of debt right away. And there are people that are even doing that. They're going in playing the lottery, hoping they'll win the lottery, that'll be a blessing from God to get them out of debt. What a bunch of baloney. Or there are other people that believing that, uh, you know, I can't wait. God's got to answer me now. Yet the Scriptures teach us that God is a God that teaches us to wait too. To wait on Him. To be patient on Him. Israel waited... 400 years from the last prophet until Jesus is born. Talk about waiting. Hey, if you knew you were going to have to wait 400 years, we can all be assured it wasn't going to happen in our lifetime. (laughs) That's right, isn't it? So, what do you do? You prepare for the next generation. Do you know there's a man right now who I consider one of the godliest men in America? And he believes that Jesus will come or could come at any moment in time. And he's waiting for him and he prays for him to come. But the word says to occupy yourself. So he has devised a plan to prepare for the 10th generation after his death. He's preparing right now for the 10th. For the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th. He's preparing for every future generation right now and if you want to learn how to do it he'll he'll even show you how to prepare for future generations because he believes that the reason that we are what we are today is somebody either prepared or didn't prepare somebody thought into the future about us or didn't think into the future about us y'all ever ever met a family that's been living in the same house for 120 years I have somebody was preparing But most people today, do you know, most people right here, even in our little town, they move six times a year. They just move all the time. Somebody or some people will not wait for anything. If they want it, they will get it, they will justify it. They will even go into debt for it, they'll sell everything they have for it, they'll buy it even if it's not in the budget because they want it, and they want it now. If they don't have the money, there are some people that will charge the cards to the max in hopes that they can pay for it later. And all of that stems from one thing, being unable to wait. Just to wait. To wait on God, to wait for His timing, To wait for His day. Waiting is hard. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Waiting is hard. It's impossible sometimes. It's excruciating sometimes. It's labor. But say this with me. Wait anyway. Just wait anyway. Wait Anyway, someone has said that how we prepare for this Christmas, which is only a few weeks away, is how we will be prepared for when Jesus comes back. If our spirits are in tune with Him on Christmas morning of this year, our spirits will be in tune with him when he comes, whenever that will be. But if we're about all kinds of other things, and if we're not in touch in the way that we should be on Christmas Day, we may not be in touch with him on the real Christmas Day. I want to share something with you. You got the pictures, Terry? Give me St. Nicholas. Me Saint Nicholas, that that one there, that one. Everybody knows that's the Bishop of Myra, right? We all know that. Bishop of Myra. Uh, he is Saint Nicholas. He's he's the one that most people in ancient times, at least, knew that he was a godly man, a religious man, and he went around doing good, and he helped people, he helped children, he helped. Uh, those that were less fortunate, because he had the Spirit of Christ. He was a pastor, he was a bishop, he was a leader. Seamen claimed him as their patron saint because... They, they believed that with such generosity, if they prayed for him, to him for a safe journey, they could go out to sea and they would come back. Now, we don't believe, you know, in all that kind of stuff, but that's, that's how he became very popular because seamen took him to every port that they went in and talked about the fact that, you know, when we go out to sea, we pray that St. Uh, Nicholas will help us to get home, that he'll bring us home safely. And so his, uh, his story spread all around the world. Uh, when it got into, uh, into northern Europe, uh, the Dutch and the Germans who had also a worship of Odin, uh, they kind of began to, uh, to uh, mix the things together uh, about him. You know, he is a man who wore red. That red symbolizes the bishop of the church. It symbolizes that I uh, understand that my faith today was purchased by something. And the significance of the red is the death of all those who died in the name of Christ. The martyrs. They're wearing the red martyr's coat to remind themselves and others that this gospel cost people blood. And so, he wore the... The red martyr's garment. He had a beard because in those days most people did have beards. He had a white beard because he was old. <laughs> that, uh, that folklore of him uh, was extrapolated as time went on because you see, Odin used to travel on December the 22nd. He would travel throughout the northern regions in some of the mystical stories, he traveled on a horse that could jump great distances and therefore it would be perceived as him flying. In other stories, he char- he, he was in a war chariot that was led by ram-horned reindeers. Sound familiar to you? story sound, starting to sound a little familiar. Uh, his helpers at that time were ravens. Ravens used to go out, black ravens, and they would get they would go to people's chimneys and they would listen to them and they would come back and report to Odin whether the people had been good or bad. Later they, the ravens were changed their names were changed into Blackjack. So uh, Odin would come with Old Blackjack and Blackjack and then would visit the villages. He would enter in through the chimneys and uh, if the kids were good, he heard they were good because of the little ravens that had been out listening in the chimneys, or if they were bad, if they were bad, he'd punish them. Show us uh, the Odin version of this. There he is. You see, he's, he's not a very nice guy. And how he comes to make sure you, whether you've been naughty or nice, I think kids would probably be happy with whatever they got. Especially if this guy's coming down the chimney with a hook to let you have it. <laughs> uh, I started to get a picture of some of the early elves. You know, the, the elves that we have now that are popular, popular in most of our uh, films and cartoons, they're kind of cute little characters. The early elves were not. <laughs> in fact, they, 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 their whole purpose was not to just be Santa's helper. <laughs> In, in making toys, but in, in beating up the little bad kids. And apparently the people in northern Europe used to tell these stories to their kids in in hopes that it would encourage them to be, to be good. Because if you're not good, Odin could come down the chimney with one of his little elves. And so kids were running around up in the northern part, paranoid of Christmas. And of course... Everything becomes sanitized. You know, the longer a story is told, the more elaborate it gets, the more messed up it gets. Uh, It goes from having switches (laughs) and black coal and chains to having bells and elves and presents. Santa Claus See, Santa Claus and St. Nicholas ain't the same guys. Santa Claus comes with something to kind of beat you in line, get you to behave. <clears throat> you better not pout, you better not cry, you better watch out, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Ta- y'all, y'all starting to get it? That's why my dad, who did not probably know all of this, did not want anything to do with Christmas or Santa Claus. Because the story had been so corrupted. And in some ways it still is. Because now, look, let's look at the new Santa Claus. Let's look at our modern version. There he is! <laughs> now you see, he, he's, ne- he's neither Odin and he's neither St. Nicholas. He's, he's the coke guy! He's just, he's just a marketing tool now. So my dad didn't want nothing to do with this junk. Because he could not see anything holy or righteous in any of it. That's why it is imperative for us as believers that we teach and live and practice the true teachings of Christmas. If you're going to talk about any of these <clears throat> symbols of Christmas. Make sure you do it about Saint Nicholas. Talk talk about the right guy. Don't don't let the story be kind of clouded. I know the story of Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. I know that's a fun story. But you know, Santa does not really fly in in sleighs, and he doesn't have any reindeers, and he doesn't have any with red noses. You know. Teach your children, teach those that know about God or, or even those that don't know about God, teach them the truth. Teach them the truth. The truth is, is good. Let me tell you, when, when he died, the people that loved him, and you know, death comes to everyone, but they knew, they knew that now the goodness of this man was lost to the world. It was lost to the world. And Muhammad's people were slowly moving into Turkey and conquering it. And they were afraid that they would not only lose the spirit of St. Nicholas, but they would also lose his body, that he might be desecrated. So sailors stealed away in the night and stole his body out of its tomb and brought it to a sacred place in Italy and buried him again. So that all Christians, hopefully all Christians, would be able to go and, and be reminded of the spirit of this man. Because the spirit of this man was not concerned with what did he get for Christmas. You know? He didn't give anybody else a list. In fact, it never even occurred to him that he should get a present. He was always concerned that other people were happy. He gave them presents, not not just to give them a present, but he gave presents because he wanted to bring joy into people's lives. The uh, the candy cane. You know, anybody ever seen one with the green on it? There's a lot of different reasons. The uh, the white is the purity. And the red represents the, the stripes that were on Jesus' back. But the green represents the tree that destroyed the curse. These are not just like some people might think, well, it's just a candy cane. In the olden days, they used these things to teach people lessons about God. They wanted people to understand the things about God. You all know where pretzels came from. They wanted to teach the little children how to pray. Fold your arms and pray. So they made the pretzels with folded arms in prayer. Symbols that help our faith to be strong. As we come into this time of the year, let's remember the blessed hope our Lord has given us. Not just a remembrance of, all the things that we're worried about and concerned about, if we just wait on God, He'll bring it to pass. He blessed Zachariah in his old age with the greatest prophet that ever lived. That's what Jesus said about him. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Ever lived. And yet, he was the least in the kingdom. The Lord will remember. Lord, thank You for remembering us. Thank You that no matter how we feel today, no matter what we feel is going on, no matter what's happening in our life, if we'll wait on You, Lord, You will remember us. You will keep Your Word to us. You will do what You promised. Your promises will never fail. They are always yes and amen. Father, Help us to prepare our hearts for Christmas. But even more so, help us to prepare our hearts for Your coming. To live as men and women of God. Strengthened by Your Word. Provoked by Your truth. And help us, Lord, to live it and share it in Jesus' name. Amen.